So we're in our fourth week of a series titled, When People Collide, Resolving Conflict, God's Way. And uh, we have to realize that conflicts are really unavoidable, and, but also they can be beneficial when managed by biblical principles. Last week we saw how Peter and Paul, their conflict led to a purification of the gospel message, whereby the end result was the advancement of the gospel of freedom to the whole world. Today we're going to check out Abram. And that is, yes, that is definitely Abraham. And I'll tell you how his name got changed. So we're going to check out Abram and Lot. Uncle and nephew with a lot of possessions and wealth. But unfortunately all that stuff was damaging their relationship. It's crazy how we can get possessed by our possessions. Somewhere along the line... This week, I found a cartoon of an elderly man, obviously very, very wealthy. He was under his canopy deathbed, surrounded by his maids and servants, butlers, family members, lawyers, and all sorts of people just waiting for him to die. It was quite, quite clear why the people gathered there is they wanted a piece of the stuff that he owned. And he has this very determined look on his face, and he's scrowling like this. And one bystander says to another, someone just told him he couldn't take it with him. So he says he's not going. (laughs) You see, God's message of contentment confronts that message. God desires a heart of contentment and a heart that beats, God, you are enough. And we find our portion And we resonate with the psalmist that says, Whom I in heaven but you. And there's nothing on this earth that I desire besides you. You see, Abram, later in chapter 17, he makes a covenant with God. And he does get his name changed through that covenant to Abraham, a hero of the faith. See, Abram understood this contentment and enabled him to stand down when faced with conflict with his nephew Lot. Let's take a look at our text and see what we can learn. So Abram went up from Egypt to Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold, and from Negev he went to a place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot was moving about with Abram. He also had flocks and herds, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. You see, he has all his possessions, and so does Lot. And they have a lot of stuff. Tons and tons of animals. Chapter 12, 16 says, Pharaoh gave Abraham uh, sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. And they're nomadic. And they're moving around with all of this stuff. 
And can you imagine the land and the tents that are pitched and the herders out in the fields taking care of their animals? And eventually it says that Abram and Lot's herders started quarreling. It's like the sharks and the jets from West Side Story. There's a turf problem here. Imagine the immensity of their possessions. I actually found a picture of Lot's possession along with all his shepherds. Check this picture out. This is Lot's herders, man. They're ready to quarrel, man. They're ready to tango with Abram's herders. Looks like they're packed and ready. You see, folks, more is not always better. It's not. Too much stuff can tip over your life. The heart of this strain of their relationship is the accumulation and overabundance of wealth. We can become programmed to think that more is better. If we have more, we'll be happier. <laughs> We're at peace. Actually, the opposite is true. Now, don't hear me wrong. It's possible for a Christian to have possessions and have great wealth. But the problem is when those possessions make you possessed with possessions. We live in a society of more, more, more. Even here, you hear the music. It, it shouts, I want it all. I want it now. You know, the pursuit of wealth, it, it does indeed conflict with family and relationships if it gets too possessive or possessed by possessions. Advancing in promotion and advancing in more and more and more wealth sometimes causes a person to get much home much, much later, sleeping less, devoting less time to family and church. Abraham and Lot show us that conflict can arise by having too much or pursuing too much. Jesus doled out. He doled out some fantastic teaching about wealth. For example, Luke 12, verse 15. Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. You see, God wants to guard our hearts from being possessed by our possessions. I had a couple who went to my church, this is oh, 17, 18 years ago, and they noticed that their kids just started wanting and demanding more and more and more. And they did a really cool thing with their kids. They actually took them to the junkyard. And they told these two boys, they said, look at all these, this stuff. People toiled over it, sometimes for years and years and years. And here it is, rusting away. I like that teaching. That's some hands-on teaching. Stuff, accumulation of stuff can cause conflict with ourselves and others. So look at verse nine, 8 and 9 with me. Lot and Abram decide to part ways. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is not, is not the whole land before you Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You see, Abram teaches us that relationships are more important than possession. You see, Abram would, would, not, would rather not be with Lot than be at odds with him. It's an important truth. Abraham yields to Lot's choice of any part of the land that he desires. 
And Abram stands down. I know I'm using that word interchangeably. <laughs> Abraham, Abram, same dude. He doesn't feel the need to win this battle. He just says, separate. I'll visit you sometime. Just go to the left and I'll go to the right and vice versa. Relationships are more important than possessions. Abram appears to value Lot over the land. He refuses to let possessions overtake him and his love for his nephew. Abraham values also peaceful living in relationship with his family member. He lets go. Part of learning to stand down comes from learning the value of people. Look around you. Do it. You look to the left or right. Look, maybe the person that you have your arm around or the person sitting behind you. Well, you're like, hey, there's Jerry. I haven't seen Jerry in a while. That person is of so much value. What you see is of more value than anything that could be sold at a store or on Amazon or at a dealership. Precious, precious material around you filled with the Holy Spirit. I really believe Jesus could care less about possessions. He invested in people. People matter more than possessions. We may get what we want at times, but in the process, sometimes trying to get what we want, we sometimes put relationships aside. I've seen families just torn apart. Even my own family been torn apart by inheritance or squabbling over possessions. Not speak to each other ever again. Thomas Watson, who's the founder of IBM, he entered into a meeting once where there were just tons of company problems there in IBM, and they were discussing them. And on the table sat a stack of papers uh, which identified some of the biggest problems and threats to IBM's future success. After a lot of discussion, Thomas Watson walked over to that pile, and he swept the pile with his hand. Papers flew everywhere. He said, there aren't categories of problems. There's just one problem. He said, some of us aren't paying attention to our customers. He then turned and he walked out, and IBM started doing better and better and better. Your relationships matter. They matter more than anything materially that you have. In America, we love, it seems like we love affluence. It's almost like water inhaled in the air, absorbed in the skin. Affluence constantly calls. And we have descriptors that say, well, how much is John worth? Everyone assumes that we're talking about John's uh, net value, his financial worth. Or we talk about bottom line. Everyone assumes that we're talking about dollars. But for a Christian, the bottom line is about the spiritual first and eternal inheritance that Jesus talks about. The value of a person can't be calculated with any calculator. I believe money should be spent on deepening relationships, vacations, excursions, experiences with relatives and friends and maybe even people you don't know very well in order for them to deepen relationship with you and with God through your generous acts. We need to create memories around a table or on the bank of a lake or a shoreline of an ocean. What is highly valued in the kingdom of God? A relationship with God, a relationship with ourselves, and relationship with others. 
you see with these people, it includes gracious act toward them, faith in them, love for them, forgiveness for them, even when they offend us. These are the things that Jesus tells us to value. Money is not meant to give us superiority over people, but to help be used for the advancement and uplifting of a person and to build relationship. Using one's possession for people is called good biblical stewardship, and I believe that. Think about what you have. Now, this is going to be radical. Think about what you have. How can you use it to deepen a relationship? Your home, your boat, your RV, your lake house, your pool, your travel trailer, your motorcycle, your scooter, whatever it is. Allow friends and family and people maybe you don't know well, well, you know, people you know well enough <laughs> to use them. I know that sounds crazy and kooky. Blame it on me if something happens. <laughs> but you know what? I found that I'm blessed more than they are. <laughs> and it's just something that we should see in material items like that. Dr. David Blevins He's a general servant, uh, surgeon down in Gallup Police, Ohio, and I was an associate pastor at Gallup Police Grace, Ohio. And David and Paula became really good friends with us. And one time we went up to Columbus to go to this real fancy steak restaurant, and, and we just said, David, we can't afford this. He goes, no, it's our gift, it's our treat. I mean, this was Jeff Ruby type of, of restaurant, you know, and there was no way. I mean, I, Kim wasn't working at the time. She was taking care of the babies, and I wasn't making squat. <laughs> and David said, you've got to try this steak. And so he, he got this 10-ounce filet mignon, and he said, order it medium rare, Jonathan. So order it medium rare. It had, it had crab on it, and it had Bernays. I'll try to get you out here early so you can beat the Baptists to the restaurants if you want. <laughs> but he just sat back, and he watched me enjoy this steak. And, he, and I was just like, and this is like an ecstasy. This is awesome. And he's just, he's just watching me. And it was truly a gift. And as you can see, I never forgot it, the taste of that steak. Think for a moment about investing your gifts and your time and your energy into other people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ, and allowing your blessings to bless them. So we go back to Abram and Lot, and they decide to part ways. Abram and his nephew Lot choose land. Look at verses 10 through 13. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zor was well watered, like the garden of the Lord in the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and he set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Cana, while Lot lived among the cities in the plain, pitched his tents near Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. So Lot looks around and goes, hmm, I'm going I'm to go this way. This looks really nice. I know about these cities. I'm going to set up camp. But you find that the grass is not always greener. He finds the grass is not always greener. Lot did choose the lush, fertile plains, and that luscious green land drew his attention. But the writer makes sure the reader knows, oh, by the way, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And by the way, he's pitching his tent near wicked sinners. 
So Lot finds that he has some really fantastic neighbors. <laughs> I think we get an indication that this was the wrong decision for Lot. Abram doesn't seem to really be set on what land he wants. He simply knows that God's going to bless him. And the allure and beauty of the land really didn't appeal to him. He just lets Lot choose. Folks, what, appear, what appears to be a better situation can in the end do us great harm when it comes to our wealth. We must guard against the thinking that the grass is always greener if, if this is accumulated or I have this. Too much of having too much can be a source, a source of pain and frustration for us at times. It could even cause turmoil in our relationships. Lot's eyes were lured by the fresh green grass on the other side of the fence. New and flashy, flashy can sometimes lead to restlessness and discontentment. The Apostle Paul gives a good remedy for this in Philippians 4, 11 through 13. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any, in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. I believe this passage guards our hearts and our minds and our souls against bigger is always better or more is always better. Paul's teaching this from prison. And he's looking at the circumstantial ways in which he has been content. He wrote these words while in chains. He knows the grass is always not greener on the other side. It's not greener on the other side. He said it doesn't matter if you're on the top or bottom. Contentment is what comes from inside. He writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is a stance about life that contentment actually can strengthen you. It can. Contentment in him can strengthen you. Contentment comes from our relationship with God, the God of, of providing, the God of providence who knows what we need. That's what Jesus was talking about when he spoke about the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. They're not anxious. They just live and they find abundance because they are fed from the hand of God. Jesus summed it up. He said, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, what you'll wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. God knows what we need, and the spiritual always comes first with God. He wants to bless our spirits and pour out abundant life and living water within us. Deep relationship with God, and we find that created spiritual first and material comes second. That's the blessing of life. That's the abundant life that Jesus promises for those who abide in him, who remain in him, allowing the blessings to flow. I love singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. You know, praise him, all creatures, here below. You get it? Flowing through you. Watch what God does for Abram. Abraham, let's going to call him Abraham from here on out. Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, 
Look around from where you are to the north and to the south, from the east and the west. All the land that you see, I give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and the breadth and the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. He built an altar for the Lord. God had a plan and a place for him. The Lord provided him for him. Abram trusted that God would provide. And God began showing Abraham more and more and more and made that covenant. And that's when his name changed. How? Because Abraham trusted. And we just sang about it when we sang oceans. Trusting. Trusting. He had incredible faith. He believed that God would make good on his promise. He didn't feel the need to fight with Lot or battle for his own preferences. This contentment was contentment in action. As Christians, we have the ultimate provision from God. We don't necessarily have a large piece of land. Maybe some of us do. But we find that God has given all of himself in the person of Jesus Christ to bless us for what we need. And Christ watches out and is very, very concerned about our contentment. In Genesis 12, God tells Abram, Lord, and said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household, and I will show the land to you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing to others. You see how this goes circular? That we are a blessing, God makes us a blessing, and we in turn be a blessing to others. Why? Because we know that happens through the spiritual provision that God gives and instills within us. And your legacy, out of being blessed like that, like Abraham, will leave a legacy to your children and their children, and they'll be a blessing to this world. And homes and more and more and more homes will be filled with spiritual provision. I have to tell you that there's times I go through, and I'll be honest here, well, I'll try to always be honest, <laughs> but my thoughts go sometimes, do I have enough to retire? I know our, our, Mark Rowland just retired, and I think about that at times, just turned 50, and I think, will I be able to have enough to care for my family? Or man, my life would be nicer if I had that. I think the Holy Spirit and God's spiritual provision want to guard our hearts against that kind of thinking. I have to give that over. And Jesus' teaching can show us too. He says in Matthew 6, 19 through 21, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. I believe Jesus is saying, trust in the treasure that I give. It's abundant life treasure. It's a wellspring of contentment. It's living water raising and gurgling up and flowing out to all around us. Are you able to trust God's provision today? Are you able to stay in the same grass? <laughs> or is your life restless with the pursuit of things and wealth? I believe God has a plan, a place, and a way to bless you this day. Will you rest content in him?
Is God your portion? Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, thank you for your ways, your teaching, through the ministry of your son and through incredible heroes like Abraham. We look over their shoulders and we know that you desire for us to stand down and not collide in our relationships with others over possessions and wealth. May we look to you for our joy. May we find contentment in you. God, we love you and we give you our lives. We give you our wealth and we give you our possessions. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who is indeed our treasure. Amen.